Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are back in our, in our study of the book of Romans and Cheryl is saying amen, amen, amen. Right? right? Cheryl said amen. I can hear loud and clear. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. We're going to read through the first eight verses of this particular chapter, but I'm going to tell you now in advance, I don't have any plans on getting through eight verses. There's a lot of material here, and I'm going to try to do my best. But I can tell you right now in advance, we're probably only going to cover the first two verses. Uh, I'm going to try to present new information, not necessarily go over information that we've already gone over through the first seven chapters. Um, that's not my plan here today. Um, but there's a lot of information in this one particular chapter. Amen? Everybody say amen if you got it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore, or there is therefore now, depending on the version you have, no condemnation. If that word is not highlighted in your Bible, you should highlight it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in... All right, let's try that one more time, one more time, one more time. See, you're expecting me to read by myself. I need your direct participation. Let's try that again. You ready? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is Life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Father, thank you so much for this privilege and this opportunity to be standing here before you people to deliver publicly what you've revealed to me in secret. Father, I need your grace. I need your wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that I may deliver your word to your people here today in a meaningful way. Father, your word transforms our lives. It makes us and shapes us to be more like Jesus, the image set before us. Father, transform us today through your word. Make this wonderful difference, fundamental difference in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen, Amen. amen. I want to begin this way. Um, I think this is something that the nurses that we have here today would probably appreciate this. Have you ever viewed the television programs on... uh, Excuse me. Trying to get over... Whatever it is I got in my throat. 
Have you ever viewed the programs on television regarding um, surgeries? How many of you have seen those programs of surgeries that are taking place? You go to certain websites and you see these really comprehensive surgeries like heart transplants and kidney transplants and things like that. It, uh, <laughs> Cheryl says, no, that's disgusting, disgusting. Uh, I know, it, it's, but it's amazing, it's extraordinary to actually watch these doctors and these nurses and all these medical staff doing what they do in hospitals. I think it's absolutely extraordinary the way God uses them to save lives. Amen? Uh-huh. Yes, Jennifer said amen, amen, amen. And I know that if um, Stephanie were here, she, she would agree. I mean, I think it's extremely extraordinary uh, to view the advancement or to consider the advancement of technology, especially medical technology, and how God is transforming our lives. <clears throat> How about, the, how about the videos of um, babies being born? You ever see those? You ever see those? No? Maybe some of you? I know every woman, that, that every mother in the house uh, knows exactly what I'm talking about. But have you ever tuned in to watch those videos where uh, the procedure is actually taking place? The, the point of that with regard to the baby birth is the miracle of birth. When was the last time you thought about, you took just some time, even just briefly, to think about the miracle of birth? It is extraordinary. And yet none of those things in those illustrations compare with what takes place in the life, in the heart, in the soul, on the mind, the life of an individual who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the most ultimate of all miracles that takes place in our lives. Amen. Would you agree with that? Amen. Uh, Paul the Apostle goes into uh, a series of things, a discourse in this one particular passage uh, about the miracle of the regeneration that takes place when we as believers accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Where anybody, when we, when we leave this place and when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, or perhaps somebody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, when you hear words of life coming from the Word of God and what this book is capable of doing in your soul, it will fundamentally revolutionize your life. How many of you this morning have been fundamentally transformed by the gospel? Come on, let me see your hands. Come on, work with me. Work with me. Uh, and, and, and so true it is. And Paul the Apostle goes into laying out some of the principles that are at work in our lives as believers. Somebody referred to it once as the mechanisms of the faith or the substance, the root substance that's in the Word of God, that's transformed our lives. Paul the Apostle begins, look at verse 1. <clears throat> he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, excuse me. I want to read a, a, a separate passage to, passage to you. Matthew 13, 16 through 7. Just listen. You don't have to look for it. It says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men 
have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them. And to hear those things which you hear and not heard them. And I, the reason why I read those particular verses is because when I think about the way Paul the Apostle opened up this chapter, when he talks about no condemnation, we're talking about, we're talking about yes, as I already laid out, the, the miracle of regeneration, right? That takes place when we, when we know Jesus, when you know that you know. In fact, let's, let's take a survey. How many know Jesus? How many, come on, I, I'm not looking. How many know Jesus here this morning, right? What a wonderful life that it is. And yet you and I are privileged to experience, I may have touched on something along these lines once before or two, um, where the prophets in the Old Testament, especially those who, who, who wrote about this experience that you and I have in Christ, they, they longed for, they wanted to be a part of, they wanted to participate in this Wonderful experience. And so Jesus Christ talking to his disciples and to those who were also present in their midst, Jesus shared those words. He said, there are many who came before you who anticipated, who wanted to be a part of what you have before you. And yet we know that most of the people who stood in front of Jesus rejected him, rejected his message, rejected the gospel. But those who received experienced life. Everlasting, a transformation of life, in fact. And so he opens up this chapter with a powerful statement about our, write this down, our position in Christ. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in... Come on, one more time, people. There is, ne- there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in... For those who are in Christ Jesus, notice his use of the word therefore. He used it to connect his previous thoughts with everything that's going to follow in this chapter. So what is it he established previous to this particular moment here? Well, the main point, for example, of chapter 7, among other things that he laid out in that chapter, was that death to sin releases the believer from the condemning bondage of the Mosaic law. How many remember when we were um, going through chapter 7? He uses, Paul the Apostle opens up that chapter 7 with an analogy of marriage. In the same way that a man or woman is freed from the bonds of holy matrimony when the spouse dies... In like manner, because Jesus Christ died on the cross, he suffered the way that he did. You and I, when we receive him, we die to self or we die to the law and we experience salvation in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about this, this wonderful concept called justification. What's it mean? It means declared righteous. We talked about it many, 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 many times, right? Declared righteous. If you know Jesus here today, you've been stamped by Christ himself. And according to another passage, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's, that's an extraordinary process that takes place. And some of these things that I may lay out here may seem a little elementary, but I refuse to take them for granted. Because everything that takes place, in fact, 
it's worth noting that almost everything that Paul talks about in Romans 8, he's sort of summarizing everything he talked about from chapter 1, verse 1, to the very last verse in chapter 7. It seems as if all these principles, these doctrines converge right here in this one particular chapter. So if you ever want to pay attention in church, is when you are listening to somebody share on the passage of Romans chapter 8. Amen? You could fall asleep any other time, but not today. Right? Not today. Where's my microphone so I can walk around maybe? Um... <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so, so the point here is that there's no condemnation. Um, there's a connection, by the way. There's a connection. I talked about that. So by removing the law, which serves as the condemning factor, he was able to offer us the life that we could not otherwise experience. Think about that. Jesus fulfills the law and is thereby able to forgive our sins. When was the last time you truly took time out to really reflect on that? Especially now. We just turned over a new year. A new year. We set before you a new theme. As a congregation, our theme is surrender. But begin your surrender to Jesus, not your salvation, because you've already commenced that journey, right? But this consecration, begin it today with the thought, with a reflection on what Jesus Christ actually endured, what he actually experienced to offer you the salvation that you enjoy today. There's nothing like Salvation in Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. And listen, I refuse to allow one moment of any given day to pass by where, where I am neglecting or taking for granted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross so that I may have forgiveness of my sins. I just refuse. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse. Every part of me screams out daily every given moment. It's not a fear. It's not an apprehension. It's not a worry or concern. It's an excitement. It's a joy. It's a thrill. It's a joy ride, essentially. I'm taking full advantage of everything that Jesus Christ afforded me at the cross. Amen. How many feel that way this morning? So this brings us, I want to share a verse with you. Uh, because another point, another point from this verse is that there are those who suggest that we can contribute to the salvation process. How many of you have ever heard that claim that we, that you and I can actually contribute to the salvation process? The, the verse says in Christ. And there's a reason why those verses, those words rather, are in that verse in Christ. There's no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ. Those words are significant because it, it allows us, it demands, there's a coercion on the part of God. Essentially for you and I to understand that he made it possible and there's nothing you and I can do to earn our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 89. Anybody? Ephesians 2, 89. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, not a result of works. So that no man or so that no one may boast. The emphasis in those particular verses is completely on everything he accomplished for us. 
everything that Jesus Christ accomplished for us. I'm going to read that verse again. Not this one, but the first verse. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And listen, I'm free to repeat it if necessary. Because I know what, I know what it's like to live in this physical body. And I know what it's like to get wrapped up in some sin. I know what it's like to feel the guilt and the weight of it. And because of Satan's subtleties, because he is so astute, he brings us to a place, God bless you. He brings us because you miss your husband. He'll be here tomorrow, by the way. I'm going to go pick him up. That's right, Angie. She's been lonely and her husband is coming tomorrow from Mexico. I'm picking him up in the morning. Huh? In the morning, you know? At night? Okay, better for me. I can sleep. Thank you, Jesus. But, but think, about, think about how crafty the enemy is. The enemy is so crafty that because you and I are not perfect, and from time to time we do things, say things, feel things, we entertain things that we just shouldn't be entertaining. And from time to time he convicts us, or rather God convicts us, and, but the enemy makes us feel guilty and ashamed so much so that from time to time we walk away from our services or we walk away from our Christian duty or Christian responsibilities. It's the reason why sometimes, from time to time, certain people don't come to church. I, I was one of them. And believe you me that if I wasn't the pastor, I'd, you'd be, you won't be seeing me on some Sundays. I just don't always feel the role or the part of a Christian. How many always feel the role of a Christian? Come on, let me see your hand. You feel it all the time. All the time. With no exception. Mark, Mark that's you, Mark. You, you, you're a soldier for Christ. You're sold out, right? No, no hiccups, no hazards, right? So you, you know what I'm saying here. This verse lays out a powerful principle. If you know Jesus Christ, he has settled the sin issue. Put it to rest. Lay it aside. Put it down. Amen. Amen, Don. Don, say amen. Preach it, Pastor. Preach it. So this brings us to verse 2. This brings us to verse 2. Look at, look at verse 2. Because I want to follow up on some of the things that I just finished stating. And I want to do so with this verse. It, verse 2 says, or reads, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In verse 1, he makes a statement of fact. No more condemnation. But in this second verse, he lists two main ideas which serve as foundational components to our faith. He lists two ideas which serve as foundational components to our faith. He uses them as a benchmark for everything he shares in this particular chapter. Number one, the law of the spirit of life. And number two, set free from the law of sin and death. Number one, the law of the spirit of life. And number two, set free from the law of sin and death. These two ideas, these two laws, these two principles are extremely important to the Christian faith. When I started sharing this morning... One of the things that I laid out is, is I use the word the mechanisms of the faith. That it's a reference to the substance 
of how it is Christianity is actually working in our lives. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that Christianity is so different from every other religion, every philosophy, every ideology? Did you know that there's nothing like our faith? Did you know that? Let me see, let me see, let me see. There's nothing like our faith. There's no duplicate, no substitutes, nothing like it. Because there's no fundamental change in religion. Only Jesus offers fundamental change. I'm talking about transformation on the inside. And these two principles, or these two laws, if you will. Excuse me, Habib. That's... So these... these... <laughs> So these, these, Amy, take care of that for me, Amy, please. Take care of that guy for me right there. He's, he's always globetrotting, always someplace else. And I think next week it's going to be in Taiwan and then after that in Indonesia someplace. The guy's all over the place. But when you think of these two principles, think in terms of what makes Christianity work in your life. Amen. Because it's true. But what makes it work? We're going to talk about that here <clears throat> with these two principles. Number one, we're going to go through these one by one. The law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life. And this is essentially the, the, this is essentially the divine life within us after we are saved. It is not in it, not a thing, or anything else like that, not a force. How many of you have ever refer, have ever heard somebody refer to, say, just the, to the Holy Spirit as a thing, as a force, as an it, right? That's, that's not the case. It's a mistake. This law of the spirit of life, it is the operation of the word of God within us together or coupled together with the Holy Spirit to bring about not only the miracle birth of regeneration, but also the guarantee of our salvation in Christ Jesus. It is the process that begins at conversion and ends with our glorified bodies in the future. And I want to talk about this. I want to, I, I have a five particular passage in the Bible. We're going to turn this over for a few moments into a Bible study. And we're going to go through a, 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 at least five different particular passages because I want to lay this out. I want us to carefully understand this mechanism, this law, this particular point that makes Christianity work, as I stated already in my definition, it's a coupling, it's a union between the activity of the Word of God within our lives and the power of the Word of God, coupled together with the activity of the Holy Spirit to bring about salvation in our life. It can be stated as the life, the Christian life, this divine life that we have. Turn with me to John 6, 63. I want you to see this. John 6, 63. <clears throat> when you have it, say amen. It says, it is the Spirit... Who gives life? The flesh is no help at all. The word that I have spoken to you are spirit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and 
life. Now, both of those ideas that I laid out, laid out to you converge right there in that verse. The word of God, Jesus Christ was sharing the gospel with his disciples. He was sharing the word of God with mankind at the time. They were listening, according to Jesus, to words of life, words that had power in them. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So Jesus was sharing words of life, and he said his words were spirit and life. His words were capable of bringing about salvation in their lives. But it wasn't just his words, right? The activity, the powerful activity of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see this in Acts 2.38. Turn to Acts 2.38. We're talking about the law of the Spirit of life. Acts 2.38. See, if we all had the same Bibles, I'd give you a page number. Yipes. Acts 2.38. You there? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness or the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now again, Peter, Peter had a crowd. And Peter was delivering the word of God. He was delivering the gospel. And people were getting saved in droves because of the power in the word of God. But it was quickened in, in them by the Holy Spirit. And we see that beautifully right there in that verse. This is, again, this, the law of the spirit of life. Turn to Romans ten seventeen. <clears throat> Romans ten seventeen. Most of you probably have this verse committed to memory. Romans ten seventeen. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So there's this power, this anointing that exists inherently in the word of God. Did you get that operative term there? It exists inherently in the Word of God. There's power. There's life in the Word of God. Somebody once asked me, how is it possible that when you put a seed in the ground, one seed is capable of producing a vast harvest? And the reason is because the secret's not in the ground. The secret's in the seed. Because there's inherent life in the seed. And all you have to do is put it in the ground. Just put it in the ground. Nurture it a little bit with a little bit of TLC, a little bit of love, and eventually the seed will do exactly what it was created to do. So, First Peter chapter 2, I believe it is, it says that the, the word of God or the gospel, the, the word of God is an incorruptible, it's an incorruptible seed. And so when we hear the word of God, it regenerates, it produces after its own Kind. You hear the word of God, you mingle it with faith. First of all, hearing the word of God, it's, 
it, it activates faith on the inside of us. It affords us the opportunity. It brings us right to the foot of the cross and gives us the opportunity to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Word of God activates faith on the inside of us and it regenerates, it rejuvenates, it delivers, it sets us free. Jesus said in Roman, uh, in John 8.32, he says, and you shall, nobody, John 8.32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall, and the truth shall set you free. Go over just to a couple of chapters in Romans to chapter 6. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> And look with me to verses 17 and 18. Romans 6, 17 and 18. We're talking about the law of the spirit of life. This, what is it that makes this transformation possible inside of us? Uh, Paul says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart. To the standard of teaching, that's the word of God, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Again, it's the idea of the inherent force or the inherent life substance that exists in the word of God coupled together with the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you and I subject ourselves to God, through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit produces a miracle, or the miracle birth, which is the title to this message, which, by the way, I forgot to give you. The miracle birth of salvation. I think it's extremely extraordinary. Look at Romans 7, 6. Romans 7, 6. It says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see that? Now we're talking about, this is, this is just an idea. These are thoughts from Romans 8, 1 and 2. What Jesus did, this substance that exists in our lives, that's at work in our lives as a result of the fact that we are no longer condemned in our sins. The law has been removed. And now we have this life that exists within us. This powerful life that exists within us. Um, and it's the reason why now as believers we are slaves to righteousness. And I know that on any given day may not necessarily seem to be the case. I know some of us are dragging some serious stuff. From time to time we all have problems with sin. From time to time we all deal with those things. We have these Habitual things, these things that we are trying to be, become free of. We drag these things around from time to time. And they're hang-ups, they're handicaps in our lives. Paul the Apostle referred to it as a habitual sin from time to time in one particular passage. But yet still, fundamentally speaking, where it matters the most, you and I have been free from sin. And, and, and as a result of this transformation that has taken place in our lives, we are no longer governed by sin. And it's the reason why you were able to make the decision to come in here this morning. You think it's possible? You think it's, or you think rather that it's ultra easy to make the decision to come into church? Try asking your 
relatives who don't know Jesus. Try asking your co-workers or your friends who do not know Jesus. Invite them to church next. And when you leave here today, invite somebody to come to church with you next Sunday. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Given the right opportunity, the right individual, the right circumstance, you may get slapped. Right? I remember somebody in the neighborhood back in the days used to invite me to church. You know, the Christians used to hand out gospel tracts. Christians used to hand out gospel tracts. We need to get back to that, by the way. Anyway, I remember I, Christians in the neighborhood in North Philadelphia will hand me a gospel track. You know what I'd do? Because I was ruthless. I'd ball it up and I'd throw it right back at them in their face. Because of my ignorance. Because of my sin. In fact, we went the extra mile. We sat on their steps during service. We turned on our loud music during their service. And we graffitied on their walls during their service. Can you imagine? But that's the, that's the sickness of sin. The ignorance that exists. That exists in the life of an individual who doesn't know Jesus. But when God gets a hold of you, this law, the law of the spirit of life, this new life that becomes... A part of you transforms your world view. It actually transforms everything about us. There's a lot more that we can say about this, but I'm going to move on to the second point, which has to do with the law of sin and death. And again, I want to go through some verses so that we can see this. But let me give you my definition. This is the doctrine of the operation of sin within an unregenerate person. Sin has rendered the person condemned and in addition maintains control over the person because the law of God strengthens it. This results in the state of total moral compromise, which is the reason why I explain to you about our friends. The reason why I think it is, it is difficult for somebody who doesn't know Jesus to make the decision to come into the house of God. It's not a decision that they can make quickly because they don't have the life that you and I have. They don't have the freedom that you and I have. They have the power of sin operating in their lives, which in fact has slayed them. And they don't know the things of God. Look at Romans 7.5. Look at Romans 7.5. You're probably still in that area. We read Romans 7.6. So it's just a preceding verse. It says... For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Did you see that? To bear fruit for death. And it's the reason why there's so much chaos in the world today. You ever ask yourself, why is society the way that it is today? Is it because God is not present in the world today? In no way, shape or form. All, from, from cover to cover in the Bible, it tells us that God is at work in the affairs of men. Proverbs says that, that wisdom, that God is always crying out, trying to draw people to him so that people can be saved. Second Peter 3.9 says that God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. So God's not responsible for why society is the way that it is. It's this law of sin and death that exists in our lives, which, by the way, began at our birth. We inherited this 
condition from Adam and Eve. I, I sure hope, by the way, that Adam's in heaven. I sure hope so because, you know, I, I hope that this glorification process, um, Dr. Harburg, I hope it is, there's a delay in it. I know there isn't, but humor me here. I, I hope there's a delay in this glorification process, right? That in the twinkling of, of, of an eye, the Bible says that we're going to be transformed. But I hope that in the process, I hope that I could at least make it to heaven before that process is finalized so that I can find Adam and maybe slap him a couple times, right? So I can slap him a couple Why did you do it? We were perfect. It's the reason why his sin, we're going to read a verse, his mistake in the beginning is the reason why we are the way that we are. You and I, whether you believe it or not, are inherently evil. We are essentially hell-bent. But again, there's no condemnation. That fundamental transformation has taken place. And that's just no longer the, no, no longer the case for the believer we are born sinners. Look at, look at Psalms 51 verse 5. I'm almost done. Almost done. Five minutes. Psalms 51 verse 5. I want you to see this. We're talking about the law of sin and death. This reality that exists within us. Or rather, within the individual who doesn't know Jesus. Psalms 51.5. You have to say amen. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And in this particular chapter, I love it because Paul the Apostle shares his heart with the entire world. He had made a mistake long ago. I believe it's 2 Samuel chapter 11. The sin of having gotten together with a woman who wasn't his wife, Bathsheba. And then ultimately conspired to kill her husband, Uriah. And thought that he can actually get away with it. But according to Psalms 32 verses 1 and 2, it says that the weight of sin was constantly upon him. He, he actually uses the, the, the word, at least... In the King James text, he uses the word vitality, or that, that, that his strength had dried up because of his sin. He couldn't take the weight of his sin any longer. And in Psalms 51, he confesses and acknowledges his sin to God and receives his forgiveness. But in this process of confessing, he acknowledges the fact that God and Lord, he doesn't use it as an excuse. It's just a statement of fact. I was brought forth in iniquity. This Lord, I'm sorry, it's this sin in me. But he was indeed remorseful. He did in fact repent. And he did in fact go on to become the greatest king in the nation of Israel. Look at Romans 3.10 with me. Go back to Romans. I told you, you should have kept your finger in Romans. In my mind, I told you, in my mind. <clears throat> Romans 3.10, Romans 3.10. <clears throat> We're cross-referencing here today. Little Bible study is okay, right? Since Ron and Dave have taken ownership of the T 
teaching space around here. I got at least, you know, Ron didn't hear me. Oh, you heard me? <laughs> his, his silence, his silence. I don't appreciate your tone. I say those things to Ron from time to time, and this is what he does. This. But when he does this, he's in the flesh, by the way. He's in the flesh. Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So this answers the idea with regard to the existence of sin in our lives. Have you, I think it's, uh, Roy, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's Pelagialism that actually teaches that um, we're not born in sin, something like that. I, I, don't, I don't make it a point to memorize. I read all this comprehensive stuff, but I make no point at remembering all these complicated philosophical terms. I just make no point at it. You're not, you're not going to get it from me. Uh, I like to try to be as practical as I can, as simple as I can. But I think it's Pelagialism that actually teaches, if I'm not mistaken, that we, we're not born in sin. That the, the original sin doesn't really exist. That we are all born whole or complete or perfect. And it's a choice we make later to make mistakes from time to time. That's, that's, not, that's not Bible. It's just not Bible. There's none righteous, no, not one. Sin exists. We are inherently sinful. It's the reason why from time to time I have to battle these thoughts that are not of God. It's the reason why from time to time when I go to the store, see something that I really want, but it costs too much, and I just want to stick it in my pocket. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. The devil is a liar. I don't do that. But you get my meaning, right? The fact is that we were born sinners. And that is when sin and death begins to operate within us. And it it continues its course until we are born again. Jesus and what he did at the cross, he cancels that. He cancels it. It doesn't mean we are no longer sinners. It's that he cancels the authority. The strength of sin is the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And cancels its operation in our lives. There's no more condemnation in my life as a result. I have been justified. I have been sanctified. We talked about that once before. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Talks about that. 9 through verse 14. Have we been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ? I'm a son of God right now. Nobody can look at me the way they used to look at me. I don't, I don't consider myself. I don't look at myself the way that I used to. That life, that person, that thing just doesn't exist anymore. I have a life, the law of the spirit of life operating in me today. Romans 5.12. Look at that with me. Romans 5.12. And I just got one passage after this one that I want to share. And I'll be done. Romans 5.12. It says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Because all sinned. I'm going to read that again. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. And again, that's just simply talking about what I've already laid out. Adam and Eve, Adam sinned in the beginning. He, this sin nature manifested in him. 
And because he were our first parents, you and I inherited his nature. And death has perpetuated itself from one generation to the next, ever since the beginning. And it's the reason why we battle the way that we do. It's the reason why we struggle with things the way that we do. But just remember, if you don't remember anything else from this message, remember the first verse in this chapter. And everything that Jesus Christ did for us. You might want to make a note of Romans 7, 1 and 2. Where he gives us the analogy of marriage. In the same way that you and I are free from the bonds of holy matrimony when our spouse dies. Jesus, when he died for us at the cross, when he shed his blood for us the way that he did, and we accept him as Lord and Savior, he severs us, he translates us. He removes this governance of sin from our lives. If not, the idea is not that we are no longer sinners, but that we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. What I want to do with the next two passages, I said one, it is one, it's just two verses or three verses in the text. What I want to do is I want to show the impact of the life, the life. That's that first principle that we were talking about. The law of the spirit of life. I want to show you a passage that actually talks about that the impact on our lives when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Go with me to... um, Romans 5, and I'm going to close with this one. I think, the, I think we may be just praying because I don't see the worship team here at all, right? Are they here with us? Oh, Jessica? Oh, oh they're here. Oh, oh, I see. I see they're hiding in the shadows. They're wondering when I'm going to get done. That's what it is. Romans 5, Romans 5, Romans 5. Look at this with me, please. Romans 5, look at verse 15. 15 through 17. Again, this is the impact of the spirit of life upon us. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass, not like the sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, and many did die, right? Including you and I before we came to Christ. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of Of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. There's a distinction, in other words, between Adam's contribution and Jesus' contribution. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. That's Christ. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, it says, much more, highlight those words. Especially when you find yourself struggling with with some sinful difficulty in your life. Much more with those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Highlight those words. Reign in life through the one man. Jesus Christ. Sin killed us. It slayed us. It destroyed us. It condemned condemned us. But grace in Christ, that justification, gave us life. And more abundantly. Amen? 
Jesus said in John 10.10, the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Stand with me. Let us worship together. And as we do, think about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Take my thoughts a little bit further. Most of the time, I'm not as thorough as you may want me to be. But think about the powerful truth that Paul the Apostle lays out before us in these first two verses. The law of the spirit of life, this divine life that exists inside of us, operating the mechanisms of Christianity at work. This is fundamental transformation. There's a distinction between my faith and the faith of some other religion, some other ideology, some other philosophy. There's a vast distinction between the two. We have life, they don't. No matter how good they look, no matter how good, how, how good they sound, no matter how their lives appear to be, there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. There is none. Amen, somebody. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it. Got a lot of good people, a lot of good friends who are living life beautifully and they don't have life. They don't have faith in Christ and they think they're going to make it in. There are a lot of good people, a lot of good people in hell today because they don't know Jesus. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this service. Thank you so much for these words of life, these principles that you've shared with us today. Help us to revisit this conversation. Help us to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Help us to search the scriptures, Lord God. Discover more about this topic, this subject. Perhaps to prepare our hearts and our minds for what you're going to share with us next week as a follow-up to this message. Help us always to remember, Lord God, and to give you glory and honor and praise for this fact that Jesus died for our sins, that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Father, we pray these blessings in Jesus' name and God's people say,
Uh, just um, a couple of reminders. Um, elders, uh, we're going to be meeting instead of, instead of this Tuesday. We're going to meet next Tuesday on the 14th. Um, also, do not forget, um, we have prayer night next Sunday uh, in the afternoon at 4 p.m. All are welcome for sure. We got um, uh, Mama Bear. They meet on Mondays, right? Is that Mondays? Mondays at 6.30. We have Women at Grace that meets every Tuesday, right? Second and third Tuesday. Second and third Tuesday, okay. And they have a lot of good food over there. So I know I'm not a female, but I make my way over. At least they bless me with a plate and they send me on my way. Uh, and also, don't forget, she's not here today. She's in the hospital. I'm going to make an attempt to go visit her, if not this afternoon, for sure tomorrow. Um, before picking up Chewy, uh, but Caroline, she's a little sickly. If you can reach out to her, it'll be much appreciated. And it's her birthday. It'll be her birthday on the 9th. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this service. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all of your blessings. Thank, thank you for the truth that we've discovered today in Scripture and for the truth that you always reveal to us in Scripture. May you bless us as we go our separate ways. May you bless our meals together, Lord God. May you bless our meals with family members and friends. And Father, please give the Philadelphia Eagles a big win today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You appreciate my tone?